Hello and welcome to the Empower Therapy and Coaching Podcast. Hi, I'm Sarah, co-host with my husband Lee. Together we are partners in life, love and business. Each show will share insights and host interviews on relationships, therapy, emotional coaching, addiction, self-actualization and personal growth. So settle in and enjoy the show. Before we start this episode, you might hear us mention the Povey Pandemic Project during this podcast. This was our original branding, and we loved doing this episode so much that we've decided to share it with you anyway under our new Empower branding. So please enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Povey Pandemic Project. Today, myself and Sarah are going to look at love languages and attachment styles. Now, these are both fascinating areas that can really help you understand the relationships that you have with other people and how to deepen and uh, establish a greater kind of sense of love and sense of connection and understand how to more effectively communicate with your partner. So, Sarah, why don't you introduce us to attachment styles and what they are? Attachment styles and attachment theory is a framework of understanding how we connect to other people in relationships with our partners, with colleagues, with friends. Um, it's a framework that was studied and discovered by Mary Ainsworth and John Bowlby in the 1960s. And what they did was they studied how children engage with their parents um, in these kind of observational studies um, and then studied long term how these children connected with, you know, connected with their partners in adulthood. So, so this is, as so much of it is, this is your attachment styles are learned when you're young. Uh, is this your way to cope with what's happening in your relationship with your parents or? Yeah, so your attachment style is how you connect to your caregiver and different caregivers um, caregive differently. And that means that, you know, a mother that's very, very attuned to her child and connected and can anticipate the needs of her child and is there, um, and the child knows to turn towards them for comfort and security, that's going to create a very different dynamic than somebody, somebody who uh, may be struggling with anxiety or depression or a substance abuse issue or, you know, working a lot. Those parents aren't going to be able to attend to those ch- children um, as as much as somebody who, who is attuned to them 100% of the time. And obviously parents are human beings and they make mistakes and they miss, they miss those bids and um, you know, cries for comfort you know, a lot of times. But um, the way that children are taken care of by their caregivers uh, determines how they are going to connect with their partners later in life. Interesting. Um, why don't you take us through, so how many attachment styles did they come up with or how many did they label? So they came up with four different attachment styles and I'll go through those and talk about what sets up that attachment style. But I think to begin with, um, I just want to say that um, understanding your attachment style is very important when you are in a romantic partnership or if you're dating be very helpful to understand kind of where you fall in these different categories. And um, as I was doing more research for this podcast, um, I actually found this news article that went out um, 
in this like I think it was Minnesota or Utah in this like small town and it had these like three really good questions to identify what your attachment style is. Oh, excellent. I was going to yeah. ask, how do, we, how do we identify our attachment yeah. style? So I'll read these questions and then let you know which attachment style this correlates with. And then as we go through the attachment styles, you can kind of look for uh, where you fall in your attachment style. So the first one is, I find it relatively easy to get close to others and I'm comfortable depending on them and having them depend on me. I don't worry about being abandoned or about someone getting too close to me. So that's the first one, A. There's B, I find that others are reluctant to get as close as I, want, as I would like. I often worry that my partner doesn't really love me or won't wanna stay with me. I want to get very close to my partner and this sometimes scares people away. That's B. And then C is, I am somewhat uncomfortable being close to others. I find it difficult to trust them completely, difficult to allow myself to depend on them. I'm nervous when anyone gets too close, and often others want to be more intimate than I feel comfortable being. Okay, may I have yeah. a go at guessing? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to go. Uh, so A would be secure attachment. Yes. B would be anxious attachment. And C would be avoidant. Yes. So, as you may notice, there's three there. C, the avoidant, can actually be divided into two, and I'm going to talk about this later in the podcast. Um, there's dismissive avoidant and fearful avoidant, and they both kind of fall under that avoidance category, but they are very two very different attach ways of attaching. Yeah, they're kind of motivated by different things, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. So the first uh, style I want to touch on is secure attachment and secure attachment happens when you have a caregiver that is present and attuned most of the time like I said earlier nobody's perfect and perfectly attuned to their child all the time but the child feels like they can turn towards their caregiver for comfort and security and then they also have the freedom to explore and go off an adventure without threatening their parents. So they don't feel like their parents are anxious when they go off and play. And so this creates this sense of security, like I can be away from my family and they can still, they're still there. It's like an invisible thread. If you imagine like the invisible thread, the kid feels like it can pull the thread and that mom will, mom will know or dad will know or whoever that caregiver is. That used to be me sending one of my friends to go and get my mum or my auntie when I fell off my bike and I was lying on the side of the road bleeding and exactly. somebody needed to come and fix me. So, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how that yeah. works. <clears throat> I'm curious, as you, were, as you were talking about that, it kind of made me think about one of the issues we face as a society now where there's been so much uh, societal pressure led by media about protecting our children more than we should. Uh, you know, cases of uh, parents being arrested because they're, I think they were 9 and 13 or 8 and 12, something like that, kids were playing in the park by themselves, which, you know, when I was younger, it was a perfectly normal thing. But we've, uh, we've demonized that because we've overinflated the rates of child abduction. We've overinflated uh, how those abductions happen. Like actual child abduction from a stranger is incredibly rare. You know, people get abused by relatives, people get abused by friends, they get abused by people they know. So pure kind of um, abuse and um, abduction by somebody you don't know is incredibly rare, yet we've set our society up now 
to protect parents from ever feeling the shame or the the you know the horror of something like that happening to their child, which is understandable. But we've gone, in my view, over the top to the point now that children aren't able to go and play by themselves. They don't get that feeling of I'm trusted to go and play. It's okay. I know somebody's there. Instead, somebody is always there, um, and um, I'm curious to see how that's going to play out. And I think we're already starting to see how that plays out yeah. in our world. There's a uh, there's a term for that called helicopter parenting. Oh, yeah. And I know that, you know, you and people that work in, like, the coaching role and teaching roles with younger kids, they'll often experience this, you know, the parent that wants to be very involved <laughs> and thinks they know best and they're calling all the shots. And, you know, that, I think that comes from a, a deep sense of anxiety. And as we go through these attachment styles, I'll also talk about the parents and what kind of guides these parents' style of, of caregiving. I think a lot of that comes from anxiety and the parents' inability to regulate and calm their calm themselves down. Because having kids, I mean, if you have any anxiety, having kids is going to magnify that times a hundred. You're so afraid, yeah. and you want to take care of your children. You want to do the best they can, and it's not a pleasant feeling to to see your child in pain or get a bad grade or anything like that. It can be really uncomfortable. And parents don't often know how to calm that in themselves to be able to let their kids fail. Yeah, I, um, as you were speaking, and it really made me think of um, Susan Jeffers' famous book, Fill the Fear and Do It Anyway. There's a passage in that book about the importance of letting your children fail yeah. and some advice on how to give feedback um, when they fail so that they're more enabled to do things and learn to soothe themselves, to learn to cope with failure, and that failure is absolutely... A vital part of the learning process you try things it doesn't work you learn from that and we're creating children at the moment that don't get the opportunity to learn how to you know as you said regulate themselves they don't learn how to learn so when they become older and they're going to jobs they've never had somebody criticize them before you know it's, it's an issue and I just wanted to reflect back you know, that was a great observation on you know as a coach you know one of the most difficult parts of my job is dealing with parents. Um, and I feel I've become pretty adept at that now. And part of that is, you know, explaining to parents about how we learn, explaining to them that it's okay to let some failures happen. We can't and shouldn't protect, you know, uh, people who are learning from making these mistakes. It's, it's important they make the mistakes and they learn from the mistakes. And then it's our job to help them on the other side of the mistakes learn the lesson so that they don't do it again. And sometimes people have to do it a few times to learn the lesson. And uh, yes, yeah, the skill I have to work on there is, is, as you would say, like giving the parents the safety to know that, you know, we're going to allow their, their young athlete to experience some discomfort, to experience some disappointment, and they will learn something out of it that's going to help them more in the long run. And we're, we're allowing them to become more semi-autonomous human beings. Yeah, and by giving that permission to the kids, you're giving that permission to the parents yeah. too that the kid doesn't always have to be successful. No. They can take risks and yeah. fail. And that really is the cornerstone of secure attachment is that um, the safe, secure base where people can wonder and still be safe. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of freedom to play and be curious and take risks and fail. Uh, so... Um, adults with secure attachment are more trusting in their relationships. They can be vulnerable with their partners. They can say like, oh, I'm having a really hard time with this. 
Um, they can ask for their needs and express their desires and communicate what they want more clearly. Because um, when you think about it, it, that was a safe thing to do in their family. That wasn't tied to rejection or abandonment or, you know, anger. You know, if you said, you know, I, I want to go to the park today and your parent said, I'm too busy. I don't want to do that. I don't have to take you. Why do you take up so yeah. much of my time? You're much less likely to ask for what you need. So uh, secure people um, are also highly attuned and sensitive to the needs of other people. They, um, they can, can see and pick up and attune to others because they have been attuned to themselves. They've had that model to them yes. from a young age. Yeah. You know? Okay, yeah. let's look at the next one. The next one is anxious, preoccupied. I definitely <laughs> resonate with this one. Uh, caregivers with this one are uh, present sometimes. They're present a lot of the times, and then sometimes they're not. So there's this inconsistency. They might be there, responsive one moment, and then pull away. Um, a lot of times with this, you see uh, parents that are struggling with anxiety or mental illness or addiction or... You know, if there's a death in the family and they're they're grieving, they grieving and they can't be as emotionally available as you know they were when the child was born. A lot of times with uh, parents that have children really close to each other, where they're like splitting their attention between children, you can also see anxious um, anxious, anxious preoccupation, and uh, so that's kind of the caregivers and the way they show up with the with the child. Parents who are anxious unconsciously tend to put their anxiety on the child, kind of like what we talked about with the helicopter parenting. Yeah. Um, but it's also like if you can imagine, uh, you know, a little kid that's playing outside and they go off and play with their friends, the, the parent not being able to, to let that kid roam, that's, that's kind of like the basis of anxious well, there's, parenting. There's two things it sets up there. So the first thing... As we discussed earlier, it stops children from learning from their mistakes because if you stop the mistake, they don't get to learn and they don't get to understand that it's okay to make mistakes and that's part of the learning process, which is, I think, vital for everybody. And the other thing is we then instill a sense of um, exaggerated fear because you're saying that's dangerous all the time because I need to be here watching you instead of go play in the park. It's not dangerous, you know, go yeah. have fun. Okay, what's the worst thing you're gonna do? You're gonna scrape your knee or something, you know, maybe break a bone, but again, that's still part yeah. of the, the growing up process. So yeah, you're forcing, by behaving like that as a parent, you're really forcing two things, or at least two things on the children, which is number one, they can't trust themselves to make the right decision because somebody else always makes the right decision for mm -hmm. them, so they don't learn how to make decisions, they don't learn how to learn. And two, you're also instilling this kind of exaggerated sense of fear. And I've definitely mm -hmm. seen this in athletes that I've worked with. They're very afraid to do things. They're afraid to try things. Yeah. They're afraid to do things. Because somebody is saying to them, well, that's, you've got to be careful. And, and again, you know, when I come to working with parents, one of the things I have to do is kind of explain risk to them. And how you know what we do to minimize risk, but also that some risk needs to be present in what we're doing. You know, like some there needs to be an acceptable amount of risk to learn the skill. Like, you know, the, the example as a track cyclist would be: you have to learn how to ride slowly on a steeply banked velodrome. That's, that a, that's terrifying. An important, yeah, and it, you know, it's an important skill that you have to learn as an athlete and as a coach. I have to allow them to practice that. To the point that sometimes they're going to fall off in practicing it or they won't learn where the limit is. 
And I can't project onto them how afraid I am of them falling off because then they won't be able to do it. So I've got to encourage them. And, you know, when we do this drill, you know, usually somebody will slide off at a slow speed, they'll get back up, we'll have a laugh, and they'll get back on and do it again. And that's part of the learning process is dust yourself off, learn from your mistake, and then go and do it again. And if we don't give people the opportunities to learn, then they can't learn and they can't master their ability to learn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that does, definitely does tie into anxious attachment. Mm. So a big piece of the anxious attachment is this fear of abandonment. They don't know that their caregiver is going to be there. They don't know... Um, they don't know who they're going to get. So there's this unpredictability yeah. of their caregiver. And so you see this kind of heightened sensitivity to expressions of other people. So um, if I'm kind of going into my house, I'm looking to see if mom's angry or sad today. So I, I know how to show up. trying to read the situation yeah. and see where you fit in, yeah. So anxiously attached people are really good at reading faces, really good at picking up on the... Uh, cues of other people which is a gift um, but it's also you know we can pick up the wrong wrong things so you know if, if you are um, at the gym and you don't have your phone on you and I text you and you don't text me back then I can read into that situation as you're rejecting me you're leaving me you're probably with some other woman <laughs> you know so that sensitivity you know I'm really I was just lifting some weights <laughs> yeah yeah like that sensitivity definitely keeps you safe as a child because you're um, you're really adjusting the way that you show up as a child so that you aren't facing rejection or yeah, and you're just doing your best to get your needs met aren't you and you are being a chameleon to get those needs met rather than kind of staying in your authentic self and being seen in your authentic self and it's like okay I'm good as I am you're having to change yourself to get what you need from other people which yeah I can totally see how that would cause issues as you get older yeah yeah so highly sensitive to loss of connection strong fear of abandonment and on the other side of that you you develop these activating strategies to that switch on when you perceive loss because I'm like you know a lot of times the activating strategies of someone that's anxious preoccupied are um, counterproductive aggressive and they push people away so they do the exact opposite of what you're trying to do which is kind of force connection and force repair and um, you know really connect you want to like merge with another person it's just, it's just talking and kind of thinking about how what serves us when we're young and as a child then can be the very opposite for us as we become adults and suddenly not serve us anymore. But these things are so deep rooted that unless you're going to do your work, you're going to do your therapy, you're going to, you're going to get some help on it. You're not, problem one, you're probably not going to realise you're doing it. Number two, you just know that you have discomfort and you know that things aren't like you want them to be, but you don't know why. Uh, and then the second thing is, you know, even if you do start to become aware of the patterns, you, you can't change it. They're, they're so deep and so powerful. So, yeah, I think, you know, this is a really key area. This is a this is something where therapy can be wonderful. Once Sarah's gone through all of the different styles, I think, you know, we'll talk about our own experiences and we'll talk about how we show up with these different type of styles as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, 50% of the population has an insecure attachment, whether it's anxious or avoidant. 
and um, just really understand it's, it's yeah that is a one huge person amount. in every relationship is likely to have some kind of insecure attachment style if not both because yeah. if you are uh, insecurely attached you're much more likely to go to, to attract the, somebody who's insecure yes yeah. to the other to the other damaged mm -hmm. pot and so um, really looking at how these things show up for you if you're seeing the same pattern occur with different people, like you're having the same relationship with different bodies. That's a good sign that you've got an attachment wound. If you keep hitting these roadblocks with your partner and having the same fights over and over and over, that's a good kind of arrow inward that something's happening with your attachment system. So, um, you know, with anxious attached people, they yearn for stability and consistency, but they also tend to like blow relationships up and have these like big events that, you know, are, are caused when they sense, sense a disconnect, when they sense, you know, my partner isn't, isn't there, like, I don't know where he went, he's distracted, he's not paying attention to me, like, there's that, you know, need for reassurance. The anxious person isn't equipped to say, I really need some reassurance right now. Like, are you here for me? Like, I need you to tell me that... They can't verbalize that in a cognitive way. Yes. They're, and, and even more than that, it's not that they don't have the words for it. They feel like communicating their needs is going to result in rejection. They think communicating oh. their needs are going to push the other person away. <laughs> so you've got this double, double bind of they can't say what they need, and even if they could say what they need... They feel that it's going to push the other person away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so it is, it's a bind. And um, this kind of shows up as clinginess, as neediness. I hate both of those words. I think they're really pathologizing for just strategies to connect. Um, but and they're also these... somewhat gendered as well, unfortunately. A bit oh, yeah. like um, bossy and stuff. You know, they're kind of unfairly gendered. Yeah. And interestingly enough, the anxious attachment style is more correlated with women. Um, whereas the avoidant is more correlate, correlated with men, right. um, which culturally too, and you know the encouragement to have feelings and express your vulnerability for men is a little different, and maybe yeah. you can talk about that later. Um, but you have these big blowouts with the anxious attachment, so they'll create fights because they get that relief of the repair afterwards that feels really good to their nervous system. So. Oftentimes you'll see these cycles of, you know, you're, you're going to leave me, you're going to leave me, I'm going to text you a hundred times, and then you get this text back that's like, I'm never going to leave you, we're okay, we're fine, and then you're like, oh, thank God, like, I just needed that reassurance, right, but there had to be this, like, big blowout, and now you're embarrassed and ashamed of your behavior, and your partner might even just be like, you know what, I'm done, like, I just need to be able to go away for the weekend with my bros, and not have 50 text messages coming in from, you know, my girlfriend. And so... Um, yeah, I've experienced that as a younger man. I yeah. 24 text messages in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> That's intense. <laughs> it was pretty intense That's when intense. you come back and I've just been on an appointment as a, as a real estate agent, come back, 24 text messages, you're like, ah. <laughs> yeah, and those strategies are meant to engage, but what they end up doing is being like, okay, I need to run yeah. away yeah. fast, like, to yeah. another direction. So... Um, those are common strategies. Just this worry that your partner doesn't love you, um, and then just you know longing to be intimate, longing for that stability and connection, but really not knowing how to communicate that and ask for that. So let's look at the last kind of the last split one. Yes. So the last one is avoidant, 
and this is split into two, um, but with avoidance, the caretaker is not a safe person. So usually the, the caretaker hasn't been, the, been there for the child at all or has had very strong feelings about the child's presence. So if you think about like the parent that's yelling at their kid for having a temper tantrum at the grocery store, saying like, you're embarrassing me, stop doing that, you know, like either berating them and yelling at them and humiliating them and uh, getting angry for them having feelings or just con completely ignoring them. So the kid's just like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, and the parent's not looking at them and so they just switch off and they decide that they don't need, that they're not going to need this caregiver at all. They're not going to be there for me, so I'm just going to, I'm going to shut off. I'm going to take care of my own needs. I'm going to auto-regulate. I'm going to self-soothe. And um, that's really scary. That's really sad when kids do that, when they kind of just switch off. Little, little kids. Yeah. Can you just imagine how terrifying that is when your caregiver's presence and availability and responsiveness is necessary for your survival um, and just how how terrifying that Abandoned feel. you would feel and how scared yeah. you'd feel, yeah. Yeah, and so the, sec the strategy for that is to take care of your own needs. And so the way this shows up as adults um, with the dismissive avoidant is, um, like if you think of the CEO type, the like, you know, high, high sense of self, they've got, you know, everything figured out, they take a lot of pride in not needing other people, they're very career-minded, they are dismissive of feelings. They don't. They don't show any vulnerability. Um, that's kind of like the archetype of the avoidant, and um, they get yeah, really of, freaked out. <laughs> many of those people are actually fairly sad inside and not sad, feeling, scared, you know, lonely. not feeling uh, real, you know, real meaning in their life. They're working as hard as they can, and yet not getting the meaning from the work that they're looking for. Often. Yeah, and a lot of times the shiny objects out here are. Uh, distractions from you know, the pain inside, the pain inside, mm. and from other people seeing how lonely they really are because yep. they don't want to be seen. Because even that intimacy just feels like too much. Like you're getting too close, and that's the dismissive. That's the dismissive avoidance. Like you're getting too close. Like I don't want you to see me. You know, other people want to be more intimate than you want to be intimate with them. This closeness feels uncomfortable. And and yet that's a faction of society as we've mentioned on the podcast before uh, which has the highest growing rate of suicide so yeah. you know single men in their 50s committing suicide at really high rates because they can't get that connection that on one level they so deeply desire but they don't know how to go around it because they've built up this avoidant attachment yeah. style so they can't <clears throat> they can't find closeness with other people. So, yeah. you know, this is why I've launched this men's group. Um, you know, this is one of the things we're doing in the men's group is looking at attachment styles and looking at um, <coughs> looking at how men, you know, connect with each other. And we'll also look at relationships and how men connect with women. But an important part of it is how men connect with each other and how they can, can find that, that community and that um, care and support and love that they need and has been missing since early childhood. And, we have the opportunity to help them just you know discover and establish that yeah and that's so important for these avoidant attached people is just those even small doses of vulnerability with people yep. that are safe to them that aren't going to dismiss their feelings or you know get too attached and touchy-feely that's <clears throat> the last thing they want is somebody in there being like 
How do you feel about that? You know? we, we had a guy in our group this week, uh, I, I don't think you'll mind him sharing this particular bit with it, you know, and he went what he called was deep. Um, and, and, you know, I thought it was a, you know, a, a pretty reasonable, you know, thing for him to share. And, and he felt shame immediately for sharing this thing with guys and he was apologising, no, I didn't mean to go deep. And it's like, Vulnerability you, know, it, over. you know, that's exactly yeah. what this, you know, that's exactly what my men's work is about. You know, it's about learning that you can go deep and there's going to be this safe container for you. And if you haven't necessarily experienced that before, the power of experiencing that with a group of men or, you know, one-to-one -one with me, it's... It's life changing. Uh, you know, I've been through it. I've been through that process myself, and it absolutely changed my life. And it, as we'll t talk about shortly, it, it changed the way that I attach to people. It changed my attachment style. So mm. it's been vital for me for growing to the next level of intimacy. Okay. So the next one, um, and you kind of talked about this as you were sharing about you know these people that are, are yearning deeply for emotional yes. connection. The but there's so much fear around The it. dismissive avoidant doesn't really even consciously have the awareness that they're yearning for right. that. The fearful avoidant really wants that connection, really wants that intimacy, but when it starts getting to that place, they're like scared to death. Right. Right? <clears throat> so going back to their caregivers, with fearful avoidant caregivers, they are intrusive, manipulative, abusive. Uh, a lot of times with fearful avoidant caregivers, they have, there's some sort of role reversal, so they can't be the parent. They're either, you know, dealing with mental illness or substance abuse or, you know, a lot of times um, just like high conflict relationship, like right. domestic violence, yeah. where the kid becomes the parent. The kid has to take that like parentified role and take care of their family or the child becomes the, the secret keeper. You know, or or they have to play therapist to mom right. and hold all of her secrets, and yeah. there's a little bit of like emotional incest happening there, um, and so the person, the child grows up in that. You know, the parents are unpredictable in their response; they never know which parent they're going <laughs> to get. That makes sense. They're going to feel unsafe showing themselves to somebody, although they're yeah. desperately craving it. Yes, exactly, and um, because they've been used for comfort or exploited or manipulated, they are highly sensitive to that in relationships. Right. So yeah. you see this as adults showing up as um, like the fear of engulfment, fear of um, somebody getting so close to you that they just like swallow you up. Like that's a, a, a sensation that's common with the fearful avoidant. Another thing that people tend to explain is that they can often um, be afraid of being manipulated or used and that can show up um, in being a f like projecting onto their partners if their partner's like emoting or crying or sad then they they're not able to kind of see that they're sad and look at the needs of the other person they feel manipulated by that they feel like they're crying because they're, they're trying, trying to, to manipulate you or cause you to do something and cause you to feel bad yeah. yeah yeah so there's like this mistrust in other people that you know, they're not being genuine or you know, authentic, they're, that they're using them or taking advantage of them in some way. Interesting. Yeah. I'm thinking about myself as we're talking <laughs> I through I saw this. that little <laughs> light bulb go off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they often feel taken advantage of, exploited, they tend to overgive and have poor boundaries, so they're the rescuer. Um, they act out and then they withdraw when they're afraid or they feel right. rejected. Um, oftentimes, uh, they are 
are really against being this uh, rescuer for someone else. So if somebody has needs, they're, they, it's hard for them to say, like, you having needs is really difficult for me because I'm afraid that I'm going to get sucked in here. They, they feel like, like the anxious uh, attachment style, they struggle to um, communicate their, their needs and desires for fear of it being misused yeah. or manipulated. So those are like the trademarks <clears throat> of the fearful avoidance. Shall we um, shall we discuss how this plays out for us? I think I'm going to go first. <laughs> so, um, you know, I didn't have a particularly good relationship with my father. So, you know, he was um, he was uh, uh, sociopathic for sure, a grandiose narcissist. So, I can see, like, you know, I have a very good relationship with my mum. She was, as you would describe, the parent to somebody with secure attachment and I think I'm majority secure attachment but I can also see some um, avoidant in my behavior as well especially in the past and I think you know as I was saying earlier doing this men's group work um, having my own personal therapy has helped me really kind of move on from some of these unhealthier places uh, and causing conflict and stress and unhappiness in previous relationships both with romantic and and uh, platonic friends and now moving to this place where I just feel much more comfortable discussing who I am, what my needs are, coping with your needs, being able to be present when <laughs> you're moving into uh, where is anxious. it? Anxious. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> <pretty> <laughs> when you're moving into anxious attachment. Um, you know, and that just comes from this understanding this stuff, understanding myself, understanding safety and, and having relationships with men, new relationships with men where there was safety, where I could tell them my stuff and they were interested, they cared, they didn't just see me as somebody to kind of uh, inflate their own ego. So, yeah, you know, one of the things I want to share from this is kind of through my journey and my growth, just because you might hear yourself in one of these, uh, you know, kind of... Um, I don't want to use the word negative. What's the right word for it? You know, kind of... Um, They're just blueprints, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, one, thing, one of these attachment styles that you know isn't serving you as an adult anymore. You know, you're in this attachment style and you, you're sensing things aren't right. You're hearing this. The light, sorry, so the light bulbs are going off. You're like, ah, hang on a second, that's me. Um, just because you might be experiencing that and knowing that you have some of this stuff going on doesn't mean that you can't move out of it. I mean, there's probably always going to be some element of it there, but the awareness of it and the knowing that you can create these relationships if you seek out the right people uh, makes a huge difference. Like, I, I, I'm guessing, I'm going to throw this to you now, like, how do you see my attachment style now that we're in a relationship with each other? Well, I, I don't know, because I, I didn't know your attachment style before, but... I can speak on my from my experience that um, I was with somebody that was on definitely the avoidant dismissive side. Um, didn't 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 know whether he loved me or not. Would change his mind often. Would blow stuff up after we got really close. So it was like this very cyclical nature to our relationship, and and for me that really agitated that that attachment um, injury of the the anxiety for me because I, you know. If you're con if you're highly <laughs> sensitive to loss and abandonment and rejection, and somebody abandons you and rejects you all the time, yeah, then that would be uh, it. Was just a, a very cyclical and chaotic relationship. Um, 
and there was an addictive quality to that because I would crave the the repair. I would crave like him calling me after he went to, you know, Denmark or Switzerland and be like, "Oh yeah, I decided I love you." <laughs> now that we're so far apart and there's no intimacy, like we're good now. And then I was just, you know, it would be like that relief. So you'd get that. Um, it was it was almost like a high yeah. from that cycle. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah, it was like a hit of dopamine and security and comfort. And so with you, I think when we first start started dating, I had a session with my therapist, and I was like, "Things are going so good. I like it's a little boring. Like I don't know. There's just and she's like, "Is it is it boring or is it steady? Like, are you are you missing the chaos?" of that relationship or you missing like the peaks and the valleys and what I recognized was that I was my nervous system was so used to that constant it had like, to be chaos or cycle. it wasn't a relationship exactly exactly that was how I got connection yeah and so with you and you were you were just like very stable and there and you were attuned to me um, and very reassuring and I knew from the beginning that like you weren't going anywhere like you were just very like present and attuned to me so um i i definitely felt like uh i had some healing in my own uh, nervous system and my own attachment and i've done a lot of work in my own therapy um on you know family and connection and you know where i validate myself and where i put my you know others needs at the at the expense of my own like before other people and You've definitely changed, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say you, you've described, you would describe yourself as anxiously attached. I, I've seen huge changes in, in our relationship as we've grown and as you've become, as you've grown yourself emotionally, as you've done your work, <laughs> but then also as you've become more and more confident that I'm not going to leave you, I'm not going to abandon you, you know, that there is some safety here that you might not have experienced in this way before. So, therefore, <clears throat> you know, you, things aren't going to suddenly change overnight. You know, that safety is, is much more prevalent than it's been. Yeah, and there's a lot of freedom in that safety too. It's, it's um, like, I know that if I wanted to go to Bali for a month to do a yoga training, then I could, and you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't stop me or hold me back or... Absolutely not. Or say no. As long as you did some meal prep first so I didn't <laughs> die, I'd, I'd be fine. would <laughs> be okay. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> I used to never be able to allow, appreciate uh, my ex-boyfriend's need for space and adventure because, number one, it always ended with some, like, drunken escapade <laughs> where I had to go pick him up or, you know, there was some some element of chaos with that. There was a lack of safety, so I didn't feel like, you know, I, I, I couldn't be happy that he was going out for a boys' night, like, with well, you. You didn't, you didn't know whether he was going to return to you or yeah, I didn't yeah. know if he was going to come back. Yeah. With you, like, I love it when you go out with your guys and you come back and you tell me all about it. And it's just a very different different dynamic. And I think um, when you are in a relationship with somebody that is secure, if you see it as a, like a spectrum, um, if you're with somebody that's on the secure end of the spectrum, it kind of pulls you into more security because it is very healing to have somebody that is there for... Um, comfort and security, somebody that you can turn to and expect to um, be accessible, responsive, and engaging with you. Um, 
Whereas if you're with somebody that's anxious um, and you're avoidant, you're gonna you're gonna have that sore spot poked a little bit. And so um, being aware of that, being aware of you know who you choose as your partner is very important. It has has consequences for your mental, physical, emotional, and you know your professional health as well. It affects every area of your life. So really being careful uh, about who you choose. Yeah, that's also an important thing to recognize. Like, you know, I really recommend you go home and research attachment styles. I think it's it's a really important uh, way that we exist in the world. Uh, and it, it really shine light on the relationships that you have, how those relationships work, why they might not be serving you as, as you want them to, and why you might be able to have better relationships with certain types of people. Because if you're, you know, if you're finding people that are more secure in their attachment style, it's going to be easier to have a relationship with them than somebody who's, say, avoidant in their attachment style. And that's everything. That's your business partners, that's your colleagues, that's your platonic friends. You know, this goes for that as well. If you've got platonic friends that, you know, I often hear this probably more from women than than guys, but you know everybody has experienced that friend that is utterly there uh, for themselves. As in, you know, as long as you're around and giving them what they need, they're in your life. The second that you're vulnerable and you need something, you can't find that friend. They are gone. You know that just comes down to attachment styles again. So you know, look out, understand, uh, do some research on it, do some testing of where you sit yourself, and then go and do your work. You know, see a therapist. If this is something that's playing up in your life and this is affecting you, you know, give me a call, give Sarah a call, see somebody, do your work. We are living examples that you can change and that you will get a better quality of life for doing this. Like this absolutely affects every relationship you have and, and massively affects the quality of your life. If you can move more into a more secure type of attaching to people, those relationships are just so much healthier and you just get so much more from them. Yeah. And, you know, all these relationships with other people are, are important, but the biggest relationship you will ever have is the one with yourself. And when you can look at how your attachment, how your caregiver um, and your parents affected you and, you know, the challenges that you faced as a child around safety and connection and closeness, you can drop into the space that's so much more deep and expansive and you can start to heal those wounded parts of ourselves, you know. Having an insecure attachment is not a bad thing. It's just something that we it is what have it to is. look at. It is, you know, your past is your past. Um, what is more important now is your future. Like, what are you going to do to change the way that your future plays out? And your present, you know, how does your present play out? You know, are you happy right now? Do you fulfill? Do you, sorry, do you feel fulfilled? Do you feel... You know, a sense of joy in, in, in your everyday life. And if the answer to that is no, then do something about it. I mean, you can choose to. These are, these are all choices. I mean, Sarah, uh, Sarah will say, you know, I'm very big on personal responsibility. These are choices. You don't have to keep existing in the same way in the world and for the same patterns to play out. You get a choice on that. It's up to you. If you want to keep existing like that, you want to keep existing in, in sadness and being unfulfilled, that's your choice. And if you want something different, you can choose to do some work on it and to move into a different way of being and a different way of living. It really, I'm making it sound incredibly simple. You know, there's a lot of work you're going to have to do. You know, you're talking between years of therapy, you 
know, men's groups, different things that we've done, yet it's utterly worth it. You know, without that, I wouldn't be living the, the, the day-to-day joy that I am right now. Me either. You got anything else you want to add? I do just want to say that if you're in an anxious and avoidant dyad, that there's a lot of different things that you can do to help each other regulate, co-regulation as we call it. Um, and maybe that's a, a podcast for another time, yeah. how we engage with each other um, and how we calm those parts of ourselves down um, so that we can we can be here with each other. Yeah, I think what we'll do, so we were going to talk about love languages as well in this podcast. I think we're going to save that to the next podcast mm-hmm. and kind of then delve into, you know, when we have these attachment styles, you know, how can we work with them? How can we work with how we communicate with each other to make each other feel more comfortable? I think that would be a really good one for the next podcast, like what we can take from what we've spoken about today and then put that into practical terms of, you know, what can you do to make your relationship more successful? So uh, thanks for listening in today. Thanks for some excellent stuff today. So I really enjoyed that myself. Uh, always good to learn as we're doing these. Um, remember, subscribe to us, YouTube, your favourite podcast provider. Any questions, anything you'd like us to cover, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. We love the engagement. Uh, thank you very much for listening, guys, and speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like what we do, please engage with us at Empower Therapy and Coaching on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Or check out our website, EmpowerTherapyAndCoaching.com. Please tell us what topics you'd like us to cover, who you would like to see us interview, and any suggestions you have for the show. To work with us, email info at EmpowerTherapyAndCoaching.com. We look forward to hearing from you.